0: um so i'm gonna i go back and read your bio so i'm gonna act like we just read your bio live and then i'll dive off into there sound cool okay it's really laid back so yeah cool all right all right well we just heard every impressive thing ever except i know your wife and kids aren't going to be very happy they weren't mentioned in your bio man so before we get going, tell us a little bit about uh, where you're at right now, family, name your practice. Just tell us a little brief bio of maybe some stuff that I missed. Um,
1: stuff that you missed. Well, um, I run a cash-based clinic, um, been doing it for about 10 years here in Scottsdale, Arizona, called Evolution Physical Therapy and Sports Performance. Um, I have one other therapist that works with me and then in the office here, we also have, um, Dr. Austin Shane, who runs Warrior Sports Wellness, who's an R2P guy as well. Um, I guess I've been doing this for about 10 years, um, in the cash based world kind of left that traditional setting because it was a rat race. It was pretty ridiculous. We Um, may
0: talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, I have two boys, uh, nine-year-old Tyler and 12-year-old Danny, um, both pretty active kids playing hockey and soccer. And my wife is named Tara, and she has her own practice as well. She specializes in women's health. She's been doing it for 16 years. So she does actually uh, men's and women's pelvic health uh, here in Scottsdale as well. So she has a practice called Desert PT. Uh, desert physical therapy and, and pelvic health.
0: I had no clue uh, that your wife was a physical therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: She's been doing so. She, she's she been, um, her family is all women's health. My father-in-law is a OBGYN by training. My mother-in-law was a nurse. Her sisters are all labor and delivery nurses. Oh, wow. So it was only natural that she was either going to go be a physician or do something in women's health field. So she has a successful process too that she's had for about 16 years. So,
0: did you guys meet in PT school?
1: No, funny thing actually was I met my wife through my father in law. So, I had graduated um, undergrad with my athletic training degree. And originally, I'd moved back and started working, thought I wanted to be in professional sports. So, I literally was working with the Arizona Cardinals for like five days and realized I hated it, like, and, and not hated just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And we're
0: going to come was. back to that. So let's hear how you yeah, I want to yeah. come back to that. So, yeah.
1: But my father-in-law would work out in the, in the clinic. And, one, gotcha. and my wife was living in New Zealand at the time, actually, after wow. she had graduated. And he this was around 9-11. And 9-11 kind of happened. And he was like, hey, my daughter's moving home. Can you give her a job? Sure. She came and interviewed, left, came and interviewed again. And we worked together for two years, and then she got into PT school before a year before I did, and we just started hanging out, and
0: the oh. rest
1: is history. So right. yeah.
0: Well, let's back up. This is a good diving off point. So yeah, myself included, and I've talked to a you know a bunch of other students and other doctors that like their you know goal was or is to work with professional sports. So tell me a little bit more about the five day stint with Arizona Cardinals and why you decided to uh, abandon ship.
1: Well. I think it's more, it's not anything that they did. It was, it was my perception of what I was going to do and what I actually did. And was I ready to do that? Um, So you get out there and, you know, thinking, okay, so I was an athletic trainer. I was there to ready to like, let me tape some ankles and help out. Well, it didn't work that way. It was your traditional, like, Hey, you're going to go help with some laundry and put out cones and put out water bottles and do all those things. And the only thing that was different, like I had had fun, but it was just the projection of where can I see this going? Right. Mm -hmm. And and so I was there and I was like, listen, this is going to be like, am I ready for this grind to become a sports head athletic trainer or whatever? And I was like, no, no, I'm not ready to sit here and, you know. Be paid minimum wage and work like I just wasn't ready for that grind. I didn't want it that bad, so I thought, you know, and I'd set it up probably poorly in my own brain of what mm-hmm. it was and what it was going to be, and it just didn't work out. So I was like, you know, I think there' something else out there for me. Originally, I had planned—I don't know where you plan to go with this—but I had a plan mm-hmm. to go to med school, and then that didn't—that didn't—that was before out.
0: getting into athletic yeah. training or off the back. No, end? that was after
1: that. I did athletic training because the school where I was at um, didn't have like pre-med. I could have done like bio cam or something, but they didn't have, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. So they didn't Mm -hmm. have pre-med or anything. So I did athletic training and got to know all the docs and interned with all the docs when I wasn't in the clinic. And, but then getting home again, going back to my father-in-law, he'll deny this to this day, but I'm like, it's kind of like that whole Ricky Bobby thing. I'm like, (laughs) if you're not first, you're last. And he's like, "You, you could be second or third. I was like, no, you told me that I, we were sitting, we would sit and have conversations at 5 a.m. when we opened the clinic and he'd come in to work out. And he would ask me, you know, I would tell him what I'm planning on doing. I wanted to, I was applying to the U of A Mm -hmm. to go to medical school down there and all those things. And he would ask me the questions that only physicians could ask you. Again, are you ready for, you know, doing this for this many years and doing this for this many years and not making any money until you're in your 40s and working 16 hour days and, Now, I guess I've traded that in some ways, but when he started saying that, I was like, no, I don't think I'm ready for that either. You know, so, um, he's, you know, and he would tell you, well, insurance reimbursements going down and this and Mm -hmm. that, and, and he's not disenfranchised with medicine. He was just trying to be truthful. And at that point I was like, we were already in a clinic and I was like, you know, this is kind of fun, you know, getting Mm -hmm. to rehab with people. Um, you actually get time to meet people, create relationships, you know, I've met some good people and so I was like, well, this is kind of fun. So that just kind of shifted in medicine to go, well, I'll, I'll, PT sounds kind of fun cuz I was already there working. So yeah. I was like, okay, this is good. I'll go this way. You know. And like you said, and it's so then, not that
0: he not that he was disenfranchised, but I'm sure you talk to a lot of students the same way that are, you know, yeah. undergrad and thinking about going to PT, Cairo and you're you're not trying to dissuade them, but you're like it's not you may it's just like you with professional athletics you have this idea of what it is and you're like well it may not be that and are you ready for if it isn't that at least for a while so right uh, um so you didn't do you have any kind of like a lot of people that get into pt or cairo have this story of like i went to a cairo they helped me i went to a pt yours seems a lot more logical like you were in a setting you knew some people it was kind of like well I got to see this side and I went the other way or did you have a background with this and you know high school undergrad yeah
1: no no my background was I played every sport in high school football was the big one football baseball I played basketball but I pretty much just participated you know what I mean but it was really football and baseball that I did well at so got hurt in football that was only like one time just Broke my corcoid process on my left shoulder. Don't ask me mm-hmm. how that happens, getting a hit, but broke it. Um, and had my little stint with sports medicine here, which looking back, I'm like, I don't even remember what they even did. But anyway, uh, that was my only one stint there. But then just being and going to college and playing football, mm-hmm. played at a small school in Illinois, um, playing football and baseball there, you know, and then just deciding that after I went in high school and said, that was really cool because I couldn't sit down. I just don't sit very well. So being, being there, right. Like and going through rehab and getting to work out and getting to not sit down and hang out with people and work on people. It was just like, okay, that's pretty cool. I want to do it. Prior to that, I always wanted to be a Marine biologist before any of that. Like I was like, I want to go freaking live in San Diego and like scuba dive. But after that, I was like, this is pretty cool profession. So yeah. Kind of, kind of, kind of set things off. And then, like I say, then when I got into school, playing sports and stuff. Then it was like, Oh, this is, you know, we'll go do that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: Then I had it kind of set. I like rehab. I like working out. I like athletics. So it was just kind of a natural fit to just move into athletic training.
0: Well, let's go after PT school. So you briefly mentioned that transition to cash. What did your practice look like first out of PT school?
1: Um, so I got into PT school in 2000. My wife got in 2002. I got in 2003. So got PT it. school is three, three years, two years of coursework. The last year is, well, I don't know what they do now, but it was a thesis study. So it was a full year thesis study and it was clinical rotations for the entire year. And then obviously you take your boards. As soon as I got done with school, I had some, again, friends that I knew. So there's a place here. Uh, it's actually a great facility. It's called endurance rehab. And I still got good friends there. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend, Nate Coke, who's the one who started it. It was basically, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it was basically working with all endurance athletes. So we did marathoners, ultra marathoners, triathletes. Um, it was fun because he was good friends with Joe Friel. So we do a lot mm-hmm. of stuff with the higher, we did a lot with the higher end track, uh, triathletes and stuff. So that was the first place that I started working. Um, my friend, Matt Kramer, brought me on as soon as I graduated. I worked up here in Scottsdale and then down in central Phoenix in the Biltmore area, they we were opening a new clinic and it's just a traditional, it's just the way it happens in any business where it was like, okay, I'm going to go down there and work. And we were opening a clinic. So it was fun. So he and I would, at the beginning was like, okay, five patients a day. And then we'd go out and market and we'd go do those things. Well, he and I did a really good job because by the time three years later, it was like, I ended up progressing with everything when I was seeing probably, 25 people a day and it just over time, I mean, and that's fine. Some people are okay with that and there's not a problem to do that. You know, we need those people, but for me to sit there and just go, I'm going to dig an elbow into your glute and like move your leg around a little bit and then give a tech some exercises and then just go, I hope you get better. Mm. Um, just, it, it felt like, just cookie stamp, you know, stamping things out. And I wasn't really getting to really dive deep into helping people. And so in 2009, so I worked there until 2009. In 2009, I left and my sister um, is an occupational therapist and she works with um, special needs pediatrics. So hat. So she had a company, this was back then um, a home health company, Mm -hmm. So she did school and home-based care for special needs pediatrics. So I had this idea. I just was like, okay, I'm done doing this. And I need a break for a little bit. My sister was like, I want to open a clinic. So for a year I actually did pediatrics helped her open a clinic, but which is where, as I was planning all of my other stuff, which is actually where I ran into all the DNS stuff Mm, um, because of special needs peds and kind of researching. So while I was doing that, Back in that day, that's where that's kind of what led me onto the path of how I met everybody and got here today was actually DNS and researching it. And so, 2009, 2010, spent some time building and figuring out what I wanted to do. Ended up um, getting hooked up with um, James Fitzgerald, who runs a company called OPEX, which formerly was OPT. Uh, James Fitzgerald was the original winner of the CrossFit games back before it was ever a big thing. So big into the fitness and programming. And then there was another doc here that I met up with. His name's Jeff Drobot. He's from Calgary. He's a naturopath. He currently works with the Cardinals. And uh, so he's got kind of a, he, he does a little bit of sports performance, IV nutrition, all those dietary type things with the teams. But back then we all met and we were all in the same building. Mm -hmm. They came down from Canada. We, I was in the right position. My wife helped set all that up and knew some people. And it just kind of perfect storm worked out where it was like, let's go in this place. So that was how I got to start. I ended up not having, I got to rent an office in a building rather than rent the entire building. So it kind of set me up well there, but it was literally starting from zero patients. And so I would, you know, go in every day and maybe get one person and ask a family friend or something, come in and, you know, and hey, you have an hour appointment, but the hour appointment would end up being two hours or three. Like it was enough to keep working, work hard enough so that they went, oh, I want to send my friend. And year after year, you know, that's how you kind of build a practice is just, you know, I've never marketed. I've never done anything right. I've never Mm -hmm. advertised. It's just been word of mouth and just trying to do from back then saying I would always start a business, the whole tenant of when I started what I've got here was how would I want my mother to be treated mm-hmm. right or my grandmother to be treated and it was like okay because the way I was doing it before I just didn't think I could give them like I wouldn't have been able to even give my mom the care that she wanted to in that setting and there's nothing again there's nothing wrong with it it's just the way it was set up yeah and and in and, and the physical therapy world that's the name of the game if you're going to do insurance it's it's volume because the reimbursements are that way you know so you'd never cover anything if you didn't have three or four people in an hour, you know,
0: you, so were you, was that decision? I mean, I know you kind of wanted to strike out on your own because you just saw it didn't match again, what your maybe perception was, but like, was it more driven by the economics or more driven by the lack of care? Like that you can deliver.
1: No, I actually never said I want to be a cash physical therapist to, to make a ton of money or something. Like I didn't know all the people that were doing the cash stuff. I was just Mm -hmm. like, well, if I can just say, hey, it's you and me for however long it takes and you give me your money, that way I don't have to hire someone <laughs> and I can give you more time to do that, it was just, we'll figure this out, right? Mm-hmm. And it'll give us the biggest thing that the cash, at least from my side, that the cash setting has allowed is not that I'm better than anybody else or anything. It's just, I actually get time. Mm-hmm. So it gives you time to to reassess and think and you get time to ask questions and go over things. So I think it gives me the freedom of time Mm
0: -hmm. more than
1: anything. And it gives you time to figure things out quicker because you're not hamstrung by three other people that need your help. You know, you can focus
0: a little bit. I didn't plan going in depth on this, but just in case there's, you know, a student or new grad out there that's kind of maybe mm-hmm. stuck in a position, do you mind giving us a little bit of details of like how you charge now? Like how do you recuperate your time financially? Like how do you go about that?
1: Oh, well, yeah, no, it's not a problem. Um My rates, I mean, I mean, when I started, it was, I think it was like a hundred and, I mean, when I started, let's see, 2000, 10 or 11. I think I formally really got going in like early 2011. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's when the business actually really, like, you can say that, okay, I was actually a business. I wasn't just a dude trying to. <laughs> um, and so like, um, I, I started, I think my original rates were like 125 bucks for an eval and like 110 or 115 bucks for an hour. Right. Mm. And now today, they haven't gone up much. I mean, I should probably go higher, but it's like, I'm not trying to like nickel and dime people. It's I do 155 for an eval and it's 140 bucks an hour. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and for where we're at, you know, I'm in North Scottsdale. So there is, you know, I sit and listen to people and I help mentor some people on that want to do cash-based stuff. And I'm like, it location matters. Like I, Mm -hmm. this, this doesn't work in you know, Southside Phoenix or something like that. You have to be in the place where people have expendable cash and care about their health, you know what I mean? And, and have the ability to do that. Um, so when I sit and mentor people about that, it really is like, okay, besides you just wanting to set your price and thinking people will come, you do have to be in the right area and do the right thing. Like there's a lot to that.
0: Right. Yeah. So that's a really good point. um, yeah. Cause where we're at, we had the conversation. This was years ago at a conference with, there were a bunch of docs at the table. And one of those doctors lived in, uh, oh, I'm blanking on exactly where in California, but just South of Apple headquarters. And mm. this guy lived on a sailboat and uh, had a cash practice. And it was like somewhere around 400 and some dollars for a new patient exam. And like, wow. you know, this is all cash. And I was like, what? Well, and then you think where he's at. And then he's like, yeah. And I was teaching at the conference of which he was an attendee. And he's like, why aren't you cash? You're teaching me stuff. And I was like, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, like the headquarters of blue cross blue shield. I go, I get reimbursed really well. And it's also right. not like you said, people have to care about their health, but it's not like they don't here, but it's, it's very different from yes. you know, Silicon Valley and things like that. Totally. So you have to be aware So, well, good like a point. Yeah. And like you said, you know, the biggest thing is like,
1: the, like, I couldn't charge that here. Maybe I could for a couple people, but like, right. it's not. Whereas like, as you and I know people that are like in New York city and mm-hmm. they're getting the same rate and people don't bat an eye at it. It just, you have to know the market that you're in, right. Yeah. 100%. And tailor it that way. So,
0: well, you said that, you know, it was just the setting that you're in, you know, prior in the more orthopedic, uh, standard model, it didn't allow for the care that you wanted to give. So what for again, people that are listening that may not know, what's the difference? Like, yeah, it's time, but what are you able to do with that time?
1: Well, and, and obviously it was funny because we laugh like with us here because I was talking the other night. uh, I think it was Monday night. Maybe it was last Friday. I don't remember, but we get, we get together on Fridays a little bit and just kind of chat at the end of the day. And um, we were talking about that. And one of the other the uh, Alan here is a massage therapist and he's very hands-on when he teaches things. And so we were getting into how we were treating and mm-hmm. he has a doctor, a doc from the Mayo, which is right up the road here, Mayo clinic. And as our conversation went, she's like, yeah, I had been to physical therapy and she goes, but then I came here and we treat very similar. It's very much mm-hmm. the R2P method, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, and We were laughing because, and I'll get in a little detail here in a sec, but we were laughing because she goes, yeah, I did the traditional stuff. And he was saying like what she did. And it was like, nothing was ever anything high enough threshold to get a change anyhow. Right. But we were laughing because I don't even know, because all he did was teach her to hinge and take the stress off of her back and, and do some work on her back. So it felt better, obviously bracing and moving. And just basically saying, if it hurts you move this way, let's teach you to move this way. And now let's pick some stuff up. And it just blew her mind. Mm-hmm. And now she's lifting again and doing all these things in like two visits. And that's a mas- the massage therapist doing this, <laughs> right. Just teaching. And, but, and that's very similar to what we would do. But the whole point is saying is like, I don't even remember, like how I would have done it anymore. I've been doing it this way for so long. Like I don't, and I will say, I I think it would have been wrong. Like I think what I do now is the right way to do it with that audit process and stuff. So when you ask like, what's the difference? The way it would was when I was working was someone would come in. Let's say we've already done the eval and you Mm -hmm. get to spend 45 minutes with them for an eval. So their initial visit back then, and maybe it's changed for some people, but they would come in and I would have like literally, uh, five, three minutes and be like, okay, how you feeling? And they'd be like, you know, my back hurts, my this hurts, whatever. Okay, lay on the table, and I would get on there and be like, okay, I'm gonna, because this is right before I started, you know, say it was before I needling, so it was probably 2008, 2000, and I would just be working, just soft tissue, but I would only have five minutes. Okay, how you feeling? Yeah, yeah I think it's better. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, did we do anything? Well, and then I would get their chart. And it would be like, okay, I want to work on X, Y, and Z. And this is before, again, I didn't know anything about program design very well back then. Because they teach you exercise at school and therapeutic exercise. But there's nothing about program design.
0: Yeah, progressive and overload. How to actually, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and actually how to uh, how to put together a program for someone that is actually higher order thinking and logical, right? Mm-hmm. So I would I would work on them. And then I would send them to exercise. And then just go, God, I hope they come back. Like, cause you couldn't go check. Well, how'd you do? They, they would go lay on stem, and I said, go, oh, how'd the exercise go? Great. And I don't know if I made anything better. I didn't have time to go back and go, let me see you bend again. Now, is that better? Or let me see your knee range of motion or load your knee a little bit because I was on to the next person. So I would work on them and then they would go. Here, it is very much the model that you and I work with, right? Which is, I'm going to see you. Let's talk about what's hurting. Let me put you through some form of a screen. Let's see where we're at range motion wise. Let's see all that. Treatment, stand back up. Is it better? Okay, what did we work on? Let's actually design a program around that. You know, Uh, a good example is yesterday. I have this guy that actually was referred to me from Seb Gonzalez. Mm -hmm. He flew out here. He's from Indiana. He's out here now. We're working on it. But he had a bunch of stuff going on. But like he had done, he's been doing his bracing. He's getting better. He had really tight right side in his low back that hurt. It's totally, completely getting better, like at least tissue tone and everything. So he's not having that pain. But now he's like, well, my leg. So we look and yesterday we had the time to say, you know what, today is going to be working on the fact that knee flexion on his right was not what was on the left. And he wants to run and he's got a lot of pulling and discomfort in his thigh. So it transitioned to that, that day, right? Like it wasn't just, let's do the same thing over and over and keep stretching. And we actually work through a stretch, you know, and some of it was actually neurological yesterday versus just mashing on his quads. So mm-hmm. there was a little bit of both and getting the chance. The biggest thing I'll end with this answer is the, the best part about this whole thing is the time to educate, because if you can, if they can understand and you take what's their problem and you get to wrap it in this nice little box with a bow and give it back to them, that's very manageable. And, and they can chew on that very easily and understand why they're doing what they're doing. Then that's, that's the biggest thing out of anything I do here is I tell people, I'm not going to fix you. You're going to fix you. I'm going to educate mm-hmm. you and coach you along the way. You know, all the crap that we use in the back with the, the treatments that you and I do just makes you feel better. So you can train. Right. Like if, that's the whole point. If those aren't the silver bullets, it's the gym, you know, yeah. and teaching you how to move. Right. So out of the whole thing, that's, that's the biggest thing is it gives me time. I think why I think this is better. And I'll, I, I don't know, I would ever go back. Like I, mm-hmm. I would, if I had to, like if everything burnt down and I had to go make money, I'd go do it. But, but like, logically I would fail because my brain can't go back that anymore you know because the education component of teaching clients how to take care of themselves is the game changer that it's that that it should be and that it has been like Mm -hmm. i think that's why you're successful and i'm successful is the fact that we have the time to to teach people and then they go they really value that right because you're not going i need to see you forever you're like i'm trying to teach you so you can be your own best therapist or your own best doc and take care of yourself you know we always appreciate that
0: yeah, we we're always saying, you know, I mean, and it is true. The time in the clinic is minuscule compared to the time out. So, like, it makes sense right. that like we should be enabling them more out of the clinic rather than the half hour, hour. But then, an interesting thing you said in there is like in the old setting, you didn't even have an audit, right? It was like, you know, maybe the you know tissue change from dropping the elbow and their glute or something, but like you didn't see them at the end, so the audit had to wait until next time. No. Which we have all these variables but there's two things. Like you said, the most important thing of what you do now is the education piece. But you also had a gap in your education as a PT, because like, you never got to see the audit. You never knew if you're actually making change. So you're kind of like handcuffed of like, I don't even know if what I'm doing is actually good. So it's like, you get really tight feedback loops from the way we do it now. Cause you're like, you know, an in-visit change and then visit to visit change and then long-term change. Like you'd see all those things.
1: Yeah. And I'll tell you back then it probably wasn't good, right? Like it, it, you know, and people coming three times a week, like the the story I tell people is like, I don't think again, either way, I don't think I got anybody better. Like they got better because they were there three times a week for four to six weeks, which is enough physiological time to get adaptations. If they don't exercise and now they're exercising three days a week for a month to a month and a half, probably didn't matter what I was going to do. They were going to get better (laughs) because they're just, it, it really didn't. It was probably more them exercising that got them better than me digging an elbow in their hip. Right. Like, so understanding what it was that I probably had zero effect on getting them better. And when you look at most of those people, you know, you have certain people that are so low in a training age that they don't do anything right. Like they've never really exercised. So in the fitness world, anyway, those people will be successful no matter what you give them, like you can just say, Hey, if you go walk every day, you're probably going to feel better. Like it doesn't matter. They're so low in training age, but Mm -hmm. then you have in that setting, you have the patients that don't get better. And then they say, yeah, therapy doesn't work. Well, maybe they do train, but now the therapist didn't know enough or didn't have enough time to actually adapt a training program that would be enough, be high enough threshold to get a response, Mm -hmm. right. To, to get, to get a physiological response. So they were just in there essentially wasting
0: time, you know, and getting to pay for it, you know? So, which is, yeah. And when you think back about that stuff of, you know, we even talk about that too. Like, even if we see somebody for six visits, you know, which is relatively low, like there's still a time component where you're like, damn, like sometimes like they get to that fifth visit, right? It's like, man, it's kind of not good. And then all of a sudden, boom. And like, was that what I was doing? Or was it just, we bought enough time and created enough variables to where, like you said, neurology changed, you know, all these things. Like, And you're just like, Mm -hmm. but that's where you have to have those audits. Cause if you see 10 of those cases, then you're like, okay, what am I not doing? Right. It's, there's always this time component. So, so going. Then I think at that same
1: thing though, right. I think that same on that same thread though, it's like, well, what am I missing? But I think if you still go back and you say, did they learn something? Mm -hmm. Then I think their time was totally worth it. Right? Like, so I think if you could sit there and they go, listen, I'm still having this a little bit and it finally got better, but I learned rather than did I get jacked or did, did your needles make me hundred percent better or whatever? Like I have people that still do that, but they're like, I've learned so much how to take care of myself and that's worth every dime. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's another way to get a win that you're not always going to take everybody's pain completely away yeah. but if, if you can educate them then you're going to win all the time right like that's the biggest thing right they're going to keep- see you yeah they're going to see you as as like oh my god this guy at least cares because he's teaching me something yes i know there's other factors but you know that's the biggest thing and then you do that and people come to your door like that's just how that's going to work because it's so few and far between which is actually sad
0: Right. And I convey it a little bit morbidly. I always tell people on the first visit, especially those people that, you know, there's going to be a bigger education piece of their care rather than like what we do. Right. And you know, those cases like, uh, Hey, this is going to be tough. So like, we got to teach you a lot. I always say, if I die today, at least you have all this knowledge to kind of shield you and filter stuff like that should be my front job. And then hopefully we see fast results from the other stuff that we do that speeds up the process. Like that's just all we're doing. Yeah. So looking at your timeline, we went from PT school to your initial orthopedic setting to getting into your current practice. And mm-hmm. as of recent, you've kind of added another thing under the resume, which you're still doing in yeah. your practice. But tell us about this new thing, man.
1: Well, so this was about, oh, I think about a month ago. Um, and actually, the way it worked was, um, I have a gal in here named Denise who does who is, is an LDOA practitioner. Mm-hmm. and she's quite good. Um, but the point of that whole thing was I haven't seen, so this goes into Dr. Jaz Randala, right? And so who was one of the original founders of R2P, right? Like he was one of the originals that started the whole deal. Right. And anyway, he, he works, works, was the lead performance therapist for Altus. And I, ha- I haven't run into him in forever, even though he's just down the road. Like we have not talked in forever, but we'd always been cordial to each other. well, Eldoa was having a course here, um, and it was for the Coyotes' training staff. So we had you know, they they like that stuff, and, and it's really good stuff actually. But so we had the sports medicine staff for the Coyotes here, and then Jazz was here taking it too. And we'd finally touch base and stuff. And the the way it came up was he's like, hey, I got to get your information. One of our track guys um, has some knee issues. And I wanted you to use your, I have a diagnostic ultrasound that I use. He's like, I just wanted to see how that tendon's healing, blah, blah, blah. And I said, sure, send him in. So we did. And he and I talked and I said, everything's good. Go back. I send the pictures to jazz. And then like a week later, he calls me and he goes, Hey, and this is about a month ago. He's like, listen, um, on the down low, like I am moving on. Um, I'm moving, I'm getting, I got a job with the uh the Sacramento Kings so now Mm -hmm. Jazz is now currently with the Sacramento Kings doing sports performance for them and he said would you be interested in um helping out with Altus Mm -hmm. and I'm like I always say yes to everything that's the problem so like I'll (laughs) I say yes and figure out the details later which I just have always done it and and it's led to more benefit than headache mm-hmm. ever, you know, it's more work, but like just the benefits of doing all of it have been awesome. So in through talks over the last month, it was a, a slow thing of like meeting with, you know, hanging out. I already knew Stu through James Fitzgerald and stuff like that. And, um, so getting back reeducated with them and, and meeting with them. And so now we have a partnership where jazz is gone. So they don't have a, formal lead therapist that is just working with Altus anymore. What they've done is now they've contracted with us. And so we are now, we have work here and then we're providing their uh, soft tissue work at the track. Mm -hmm. And then, then we have their athletes come in here one or two days a week, depending on who they are. So now we're doing all their performance care and um, it's kind of fun. I mean, these guys are, this is my, I've always loved track and field, but I'll tell you what, getting immersed into it, watching, watching, you know, Kevin and Stu and Andreas do their thing over at Exos and how they coach. It was, it's like, wow, that's some precision with what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. And then watching those athletes close up do their thing. I've never seen a faster group of humans in my life. Like it's incredible to see these people. They're just big springs that like, it's, it's impressive to watch athletes at that level do what they do. And so we're here looking at like, we've got a couple of them injured and because of COVID it's a smaller group that they've got there. Um, I think there's about six or seven that are the legit ones that they're coaching. And um, so, you know, I forget whoever said the quote, but like, you know, you're basically tuning race cars. You're not trying to rebuild things. You're just trying to get that extra two, three, four percent in movement, that's going to help them express themselves a little bit better on the track. So, it's been it's been drinking through a fire hose and figuring each other out. And um, you know, still like treating an athlete is still I don't need to know a ton about track. I just need to know about human movement, and then let the track coach do their thing and stay out of their way. And it's just try to get them feeling their best so that they can keep training. Um, so that's been fun, but trying to learn things about track is awesome it's just like a whole nother monster but it's been really good um altus has just put their stuff out this week so we're fresh into this and kind of feel each other out but it's a it's a really fun thing so it'd be fun to see where it goes
0: well first of all congrats on that and yeah thank you second i I want to get, we, I want to use this timeline of what you've been through for a couple of questions, but first of all, sure. if you said you, you know, obviously you know a lot about a lot of different sports, being a multi-sport athlete in high school and college, but like, do you think it helps you sometimes to go into a setting with non-specific sport knowledge like this, where you're not trying to treat a track athlete, you're just treating an athlete or treating a human. Do you think that helps or do you think you do need to fill in that knowledge gap to be better at what you're doing?
1: Um, I think that I would rather have, I I don't think that my sport background or knowing the sport has, I mean, I think in certain positions, maybe football or hockey Mm -hmm. or baseball, it might've helped a little bit, but really like the people that I've been fortunate enough to work with, with the coyotes training staff or Altus or some higher level tennis guys and their coaches, I just tell them, I'm like, listen, I'm going to watch you move and clean up some of the movement stuff and let your coach, Mm -hmm. do their thing right so i'm not trying to go hey i you need to like i'm not changing anyone's running mechanics i'm not that's not my spot right i'm gonna stay in here and just say hey your knee hurts we're gonna fix your knee so that you can keep training and running so i i I like it more generalized in the fact that i think it's because maybe if it was high school sports it would be a different thing right we got those kids too so that's a whole nother ballgame but when you're dealing with the elite right like these are coaches that have spent their life doing this. So me trying to do anything like that is a slap in the face. And I have no business even poking my head in that realm, right? Like those guys have forgotten more about it than I'll probably ever know. You know what I mean? So a really being point. a general, be, being a generalist in that sense is just saying, you know, I get these guys coming in and that way it's again, going back to, let me see you move. Let's test, retest, treat. And and they're doing fantastic. I, I, I've gotten great feedback so far. But then it's like, okay, I'm not going to try to change anything other than some movement. But go do track, or go do go go back and skate, and let your skating coach help, or go let the performance team at the Coyotes help you, or whatever. Like so, yeah, I, I think sport wise, playing sports has let me understand certain injuries because I've had quite a few of them. But in the sense of treating, I don't necessarily think I fall back on any of
0: that. I think it's just looking at human movement. Have you ever done rehab for another coracoid fracture? Have you ever seen that?
1: (laughs) No, never. I'm like, yeah, well, I guess that's what happens when you play football and you're like a string bean at that time. You know what I mean? You just get destroyed by people. So.
0: Now you again have been in multiple settings and you kind of said something about treating a high school athlete versus these guys. Is there, do you treat somebody different? Let's say it's a non-athlete, a mom Mm -hmm. that comes in, hurt her back doing something versus this office track athlete. Obviously there are differences, but on the, like we took a percentage, like, is it more similar or is it more different?
1: No, I would tell you honestly that I think it's very similar. Um, it's just the starting points a little bit different. Right. So I, I still would say, you know, Hey, the, the mom that likes recreational tennis, you know, and her back hurts, uh, she's still going to get a very, very similar program because as you know, there's a lot of those things. Like those guys are the, the, the elite athletes or the professional athletes. They're, they're genetically gifted. Right. Mm. But then as you've seen, I'm sure in your clinic, right, you can put them in hypothetically, like a seven month oblique, and they can't freaking do it. Right. Like, and it's like, wow, like, how did you even like get that? Well, they're just get, they're just freaks. Right. So again, like we have some of them doing that and it's like, wow, there's things that they can't do, but yet they're world record holders or they're Mm -hmm. like top in the world in a 400. And yet they can't do X, Y, or Z versus the mom. And it's like, I'm still doing the same thing. It's probably just at a little bit lower level, but I try to give everybody the intensity that they need with it. Right. And certain people just are like, I just want to feel better. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to treat that a little bit different versus saying I want to, you know, play football or play hockey or run or whatever. Like some people are just like, I want to feel better. Well, what does that mean? Right. And that's the whole conversation of goal
0: setting and those sorts Mm -hmm. of things. So, so kind of jumping around a little bit, but again, being in all these different settings, I mean, you're also involved with R2P, which for those who don't know is rehab to performance, which is kind of a, I mean, it's the way we would, we say it's the way we practice. It's really just an integrative model that pulls in a lot of different techniques and is trying to get people from a mom to an athlete, go from injury back to whatever they want to do, right? Whatever we determine performance. But, you know, maybe, I don't know how you want to do this, two parts, or if it's one answer, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're talking to a patient, Versus talking to like a student or a doc, what do you think the biggest thing that is like the biggest misconception or the biggest thing that's missed about like, you know, what somebody needs to do to stay injury free or to improve an injury that exists? Like if you're, and it probably has to be different, but like, it may not be that different. Like, cause I can imagine, you know, if you're talking to a patient or a student, you may say some of the same stuff and it's like, oh, yeah okay.
1: Yeah. And it is. And the biggest thing, like, I'm fortunate enough, there's a lot of schools around in the area. So we have, I have students that come in, I get every once in a while, we get some of the students, the R2P students, I have PT school students, and there's also a naturopath school. So somehow, along the way, it was like, hey, they want to deal with like pain. And they're like, Oh, you're gonna go over here. I don't even know how I got on the list. But I get naturopathic doctor students that come in here. I don't okay, great. Anybody can come anytime they want. My whole point of the thing is saying, like, again, when you're dealing with that, I think the whole thing comes down to, and the answer with that is still the time to sit down in front of someone. And it's that kind of that motivational interviewing type thing when you're doing your intake and just seeing where they're at, right. And saying, you know, what, what are we trying to achieve here? Because again, I will go back to the guy that was sent to me from Seb. He's an awesome guy, but like he, we were doing um, Zoom consultations before he came out here and he would email me and he's like, how long do you think before I can do a five mile run, a 50 mile bike ride, like big things. Right. And the answer was, was the same thing I would have if he would have been in here. And it's like, let's, let's stop for a second, because that's going to lead you to frustration because that goal that those goals that you have are like, down there somewhere. Mm. Right. Like those, they're over there. And one of the biggest things is taking these things in manageable bites. So I was like, listen, first, your goal is to say, can I do this? And it's like a two week goal. And, and for that person, right. After knowing what kind of person he is and knowing that, you know, he's a little on the anxious side, but he's also a little attention to detail like needs. Precision in what you're doing, how many sets I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to the letter. You have to know that person and say, "Okay, this is what you're doing, when you're doing it, and why you're doing it." And then I have someone else that's like, "Yeah, I just do it until I feel like I don't do it." And it, it's, I guess, it's just understanding that person, right? And mm-hmm. that's the biggest aspect of learning. I, I think for me, in this, in our profession, dealing with so many different types of people. I don't want to say the word sales, but like, it really is sales. Like you're, you're selling something to them, an idea of how you're going to get them from point A to point B. And you have to know how to like interact with every different type of person. And so when you have a student or even other PTs that come in here and hang out, I would tell them that that that's the biggest thing before anything. If you can start doing that, it's going to not only shorten your duration of care because You're a little bit more precise in what you're going for and your eval, you know, again, going back to our time thing, like I have time to make a more precise diagnosis in an evaluation because again, most of the time when people come in and go, you're not going to give me a bunch of like home exercises, are you? And I'm like, well, no, not like the sheets like you get, because to me, that's people just trying to carpet bomb things and hoping one or two of those things does the job. Versus saying, if we're smart enough, I can give you three exercises and I know those work, right? Mm -hmm. And that goes back to our R2P thing, which is that clinical audit of saying, move, let's treat, do your exercises, stand up, do you move better? And they go, yeah, and my back doesn't hurt. Great. Now you've also got buy-in, right? Mm Because they know you made them feel better. And now pretty much you or I could say whatever we want, they're going to listen because you've dealt with what they came in for. And they're like, this person knows what they're talking about. So at the end of the day, communication or quote unquote sales, because it is what it is like is huge to get people to come back in. Cause people go, well, how are they going to keep paying $140? It's not like if they realize that $140 once a week and they're doing all the work, but how much time are they saving on the other end? And you conveying why they're doing that again, going back to our comments about education then then it's a no-brainer and I have people that have just they've been doing this forever and then they're like oh coming back in my elbow hurts and it'll take a session or two and then here they come again and now they're sending friends and everything else because it's like it's
0: worth their time right so I think maybe to put some frosting on that cake like the two things there which has kind of been a theme through the whole podcast is realistic perception right like the patient, yeah. like that guy was putting out these goals, just like you had this perception of what and being an athletic trainer in pro sports is going to be, it was different. Yeah. And then he has like, when can I do you a 50 mile ride? And you're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. like, yeah. so you're an interventionalist for the goal setting, but then also it's like managing the human after the goals. Like how do you get them to realize like, Hey, this is how we're going to get to that first step all the way to that last step. But then in between, like, you know, they're, you're dealing with the psychology, the physiology, all the things of this person. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's probably the hardest thing to understand that we don't get taught in a professional school setting of like, you have all the hard skills, all the soft skills are actually what keep people in your office probably also have a big therapeutic effect. Um, 100%. but like, if you don't have those, like I, you may, if you're the best in the world, you may get people to come back. Cause you're just such a stud bound. I don't, I don't know if that's even going to happen that often, but I don't know. Well,
1: I mean, it's the same thing, right? Look at it in the medical world, right? You could be the best surgeon forever, but if your bedside man is horrible, some people are like, I just don't even want to deal with that person just because of the fact that like he may be great and I'll do go see him if shit hits the fan. Like, but if I don't have to, I'll go find the other surgeon here in downtown that'll take the time and hang out with me. Right. Because you're dealing with humans. You're not, you know what I mean? You're right. Like you say the hard stuff you learn in school, but how to treat people, is so much more than, than orthopedic tests and and mm-hmm. manual therapy and exercise. It's treating the human, right? And being able to communicate with all different types of, of people and, and get on the same level with them so that they know that you're not bullshitting them, right? Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not patronizing them with anything. You're actually being like, here's how you I figured out kind of how you work, mm-hmm. right? And now here's how we're going to insert this key to unlock some different things so that you are successful. And it's come through a lot of freaking failure, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've had a lot of people in the beginning, they were just like, nope, like, and I, cause I didn't know how to connect with them. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was years ago, but that's, that's why being, there's the art in the medicine that we do. Right. And I mm-hmm. think that's more of the art than anything else. Right. There's probably a, a lot of people that listen to this show that are probably better manual therapists than I am. But I think when you put the whole package in, right. And maybe some people can program design better, but like, I think I'm pretty good at being that holistic person where I can come to you where you're at mm-hmm. so that you don't, it's not a do this. Cause I tell you, it's like, we're a team, let's figure mm-hmm. this out together. And, and there's a trust factor. And they know that number one, I'm not going to waste their time, which is the one thing I'll, ne- that's my biggest pet peeve in the world is wasting time. Right. Cause people can get more money. They can get more, you can't get more time. So if you're mm-hmm. wasting someone's time, it's just plain rude to me. Right. So people know that like, if they're not getting better, they're going to be gone and sent to wherever they need to go from here. Mm-hmm. ASAP, because I don't want to sit there and have them go one day. Yeah. He like squeaked out another four visits from me just so he could take more money. And it's like, I don't need their money. Like I don't, yeah. I'm to the point now professionally where I don't need that person's money. Cause there's like six others or seven others mm-hmm. on a wait list for the day that are trying to get in and not to boast or anything, but it's, it's gotten that way because of how I've done this. Yeah. right? And and they know that it's not, I don't need your dollars. I, there's someone else willing to give me their dollars. So I'm not trying to peddle you just so you give me money. Right. It's, I want you better because if you're better, you're going to say good things and more people are going to show up. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And what's been interesting, like I just had a patient yesterday that, you know, and this is for the new docs and students uh, more so, but like she came in and she has a stack of papers and it was like, you know, bone density scans, all these things. She did, like, had no, like, she literally just said, Hey, I want your counsel. Like I'll pay for your time yeah. to kind of work through a process, which some people would be like, well, why are you addressing that? Well, because nobody's quarterbacking care. And it's not like I step in as a primary care. You just say you know, there's these things like, and we got her to a primary care physician, right? Somebody that was a little more holistic from that standpoint, talked about some things that we can do on our end, but it was literally, you'll build yourself into a a trust factor where they know that like, whatever's going on from a health standpoint, whether it's a referral or actual treatment, or, you know, just advice, like, Hey, I'm going to go to this guy because he hasn't wasted my time. He's got my best interest at heart. And it's not just like a transactional relationship, you know, even though we yeah. are here to make a living, but that's, if that's your main thing, like people are going to see that up front, and you're going to totally. fail. If, if
1: you, if you care about helping people, the money will be there.
0: Right. Like uh, one,
1: one interesting story I had, and this is, this one blew my mind and, I, and I'll be short with it. But like, I had a gal, a while back, this was years ago and she was in a car accident and it was just like CT stuff, like Mm -hmm. cervical thoracic pain from a whiplash, right? Got it better. And I use, I have a class four laser here. And of course everybody loves it because it feels good, right? Like it's like the total parasympathetic thing. They get to lay there and it's like the spa treatment, right? So everybody's like, oh, I think that's the thing that did it. I'm like, okay, whatever (laughs) you think, right? Like whatever you want to think. Anyway, long story short, she came back because she was having low back pain and really horrible abdominal pain. And we get in here and her mother's sitting here and I'm just like, give me the story. Just start Mm -hmm. spewing, like start from wherever you start. Long story short, they start going through this. The girl's like, yeah, I'm, I bleed. I do this. I do this. Like I sleep on the floor, excruciating pain. She had been to the hospital, had a drug, a blood transfusion, had all these things had been going to her naturopath who was like, here, just, you need more progesterone. That's the problem. You need this. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, guess what? This sounds really ridiculous and funny. Like something's completely off with this. Here's what you need to do. Our session is done. Mm -hmm. I'll put the laser on your back because that's what you're here for. But I'm only doing that because hopefully it'll make you feel a little bit better. But this is more than physical therapy. This is Mm -hmm. more than rehab. You need to go. And again, being lucky that my family, uh, my wife's family is in women's health. Kelly up front got a hold of, them. We got her into this doctor. I said, you're going to this doctor tomorrow. Long story short, she went to the doctor. He was in there for five minutes. He left. He comes back. He goes, yeah, I got an ambulance coming for you. She's like, what? Turns out somehow she had been to all these doctors and you talk about quarterbacking things, right? Mm-hmm. She had been through two physicians, the ER. She comes in here, turns out she had cervical cancer. No one even caught it. Right. Like, and I'm like, how does the PT the one that like, because and again, took the time, right. sat and listened to the whole story <laughs> 100%. and said, and said, this is weird. This doesn't sound like anything you need to, we're done. You're going to mm-hmm. go and, and you're not going to pay just you're done. I'll do this. I didn't even, you know, she, this was not something that I felt comfortable saying, hey, I, I'm going to give you my time here. I'm not going to charge you any valve for what the 15 minutes that we were just here, because this is something bigger.
0: Mm-hmm. Now
1: I haven't, I've talked to her. She's doing fine. She's chemo and stuff, but like, again, taking the time and then saying, I'm going to use my time and my resources up front to quarterback this. So you get where you need to go. And, and that's how I think healthcare should be. Right. But it's mm-hmm. just a weird story of like, who knows if I would have just been like, yeah, let's go get to work and do some things. Right. Like that would have ended really bad, yeah. right? Like, that's... you know, and and it. I'm surprised it had gotten that far, but there you go with healthcare, right? Again, time, right? And no one has time and everybody had pushed her through. Yeah. How you go get a blood transfusion and no other tests to figure out why you need a blood transfusion is beyond me and negligent in my mind, but that's not my point to to get into. But, but again, it, it, it really like drives.
0: You, yeah, it drives home the point of how... And, you know, I say this when I teach of be a physician first, because I kind of see in our realm, we'll see the exact opposite sometimes that you have really, really, I mean, people that are way smarter than I am, but they're so rehab focused that they'll Mm -hmm. brush off, you know, that was major stuff, but like they'll brush off, you know, non-mechanical low back pain. And there's like, right. man, this doesn't make sense. And it's like, Hey, there may be other stuff to explore. And we just keep going. Cause you're like, so rehab, like driven. It's like yeah. physician first, man, like protect the patient, make sure you're, and that's where you get huge buy-in with not only patients, but right. physicians locally, because it's like, Oh, this guy or girl is a stud. Cause they're like hyper aware of like the health scenario, not just their knee. Right. And that's yeah. a yeah. huge thing. Well, right and,
1: and like, you know, the biggest thing people go you know, when, when you've had it too, because sometimes you get that like grand slam where people are like, how did you fix that so well in one visit? And I've tried so many other things. And it's like, honestly, you told me what was wrong with you. I just listened. Like, like you can go through your eval and do all your special tests. But if you let a person talk and you really listen to how they're describing what they're telling you Mm -hmm. and where they're telling you and how they're describing their pain and what causes it. They're basically telling you everything you need to know in an exam if you just listen to them. And then all you do is you take what they're telling you and you test what they're telling you. And then you're like, okay, it's better. But again, listening, listening yeah. skills. And it's funny because my wife would tell you I don't have any, but at <laughs> you, work, I definitely... you use
0: them all like they're all spent by the time. you get
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right.
0: <laughs> well, I know we have to be aware of your time, but the last thing I want to ask you about, I know you're, sure. uh, you're teaching a class and uh well you can tell me probably better what the title of yeah. it is but do you does that class go into a lot of this or is it completely in the um, spe- specificity of training and everything yeah in that? The,
1: because i've been fortunate enough to be around james fitzgerald who i look up in in the fitness world as like one of those people that you could get that guy going for days and he's a genius with program design and training and stuff. So having the years of just being around him, I was sitting back looking at myself back when we talked about just right exercises and let them go. And we did a little bit of it for the R2P, the virtual symposium, right? And that was just a touch. But like the biggest thing we're trying to do with this course is say, you know, you go to a lot of, I'll use my field, you go to physical therapy and it's two and three sets of 10. Now, that's actually really good for those really low-trained people, those people that have very young training ages, right? Like, Because, again, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you do. But what we're trying to do with this course is I have found that most therapists, most even, even in, in our both our realms, mm-hmm. don't fully understand program design enough to get that person. We always talk about bridging the gap, right? And so this, and I'm looking at like novice practitioners and therapists. I'm not talking about people who've seasoned and, and done this. I'm trying to say, can we help these students and people that are just out? Because I know what the education is like, as far as therapeutic exercise, can we teach them higher order thinking in program design? And how do you use energy system development in that? Right. Because, in the PT world, in the insurance world, right? It, it's just like, okay, is their range of motion good? Is their pain down? And are they, can they move? Are they back to their job, right? Those are the three criteria. But if you have someone that's like, well, I also like to weightlift, right? Or I like to do whatever, right? Did you ever get a chance to build that into a program? And what I mean by that is the biggest part is when you look at energy system development, your back might not hurt. Like we got your back feeling better and you can deadlift a set of 10. But what if you were to go be out of breath or tired, and then you got to go lift some stuff. And and I, I that's the general gist of it. It's like, do you know how to add that into a program to test that on someone? Can you put them when they are fatigued and under fatigue, and still have them move the way that they should? Because once the brain's tired, it doesn't want to It like things start to go haywire. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't train someone in that, right. It's just like sport, right. You want to go run your, your, your races. You you have to go put yourself in those positions to adapt to those positions. And, and I don't think that a lot of what we learn in school touches on that. It's just yeah. like, okay, do they have full range? And is their strength five out of five with Florence Kendall crap and, and like, okay, great. And they don't have pain and full range. Good. You're discharged. Okay. Well, those people are probably at some point going to hurt themselves again, right? Because again, the education wasn't there, but also did you test them enough or put them in a position enough to really test their capabilities of what that goal that was back there, I want to go do X, Y, and Z and lift my kids and run and go play. They never ran and did things in the, in the clinic to do that. So the whole purpose of the, of programming is those novice clinicians or students Can we basically teach them true higher order program design and not just go, I'm giving two sets of 10 or I'm giving three sets of 10. Now, again, that'll work a lot of times, but what about when it does not work anymore? And you have that person, like I talked about earlier that said, uh, I didn't get better with therapy. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Because they're already a runner, they're already working out and you, the dose response that you were giving them was not near threshold enough to Mm -hmm. get a change. Right. And, And what are you missing in those pieces? And so we're working on that. And it's still something that um, we always mess around with it. Um, Like I say, I'm fortunate enough. Michael Ban is a good friend of mine. He's probably one of the smartest people I know. And he's he's a coach, strength coach. And then Frankie, my other therapist here, and we always sit around. And it's funny because everybody's got their three-letter acronyms, right? I do DNS. I do PRI. I do ART. I do this. And everybody's very dogmatic in that. And so mm-hmm. we were laughing one day and we have ours, it's FTS. It's fuck that shit. Right. And it's like, <laughs> because what it is, it's essentially R2P and it's basically saying, mm-hmm. you know, how do you um, take everything just like R2P and put it all together. Right. So
0: when you, um, you and would and think to, that like principle based like periodization and just programming would be at the precipice of any movement based uh, education because how somebody got into your treatment room, whether we call it right. training or not, is still a physical, you know, demand that didn't meet up to you know the level of competency or resiliency. So it's just kind of funny that right. we see how they enter and then we would never address that, and then we expect them to go back out. Like I, I just right. think it's really comical. Other thing that you were tipping on that really gets—I wish we had another hour, but we're gonna let you go here is when you talk about putting people under duress and the central fatigue factor. I mean, I see a lot of runners and the fact that I don't think it's explored more that we know the central governor theory and then central sensitization and how much those probably play off each other is huge. And I don't, right. and we know that like, we always say that stress and sleep and diet are gonna affect it. Well. <laughs> do we even know like if that's central processed or is that actually those variables? So that's what I think is going to pop out in the next few years is people like you and James Fitzgerald. uh, That that would be
1: fun to talk about too, because that's the, that's the whole deal, right? Like that whole idea is to bring you up enough to a position where in your area, find someone who can take them after that Mm -hmm. and coach them. Don't, don't be everything, but like you should be able to take them to a level where once you hand it off, they don't have this remediation period. It's just like going straight from where you're at. And then that, that other coach that you're sending them to is like, I know exactly what we're talking about mm-hmm. and they can move them on to higher performance should they choose. Right. But it would be fun to get into talking about that later, yeah. because that's kind of where I like to geek out about that whole, that whole
0: deal. Right. Well, cool. Like, well, that's that would good...
1: be a whole nother hour, you know,
0: <laughs> at least maybe we'll get James on the mm-hmm. show. Um, yeah. well, that's a good jump off point of handing off care, right? Um, and we're yep. gonna hand this one off to the next guest. But man, I can't appreciate your time enough. I know we both got to run and see patience, which is fitting for uh the podcast. Yeah. Uh I'll put all of uh as much as you want of your contact info. So if people want to get a hold of you on social media or if they have questions about the sure. class, we'll have all that in the show notes. But again, thanks for cool. your time being on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Good no talking to you. You too. Bye. Later.